All right, church family, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans the 8th chapter. I've been looking forward to sharing this message with you because it reminds me of this church family. It's such a powerful message. I want you to get this and wrap your head around these two primary truths that I want to share today in today's message. The title of the message is The Hero's Hero. We always think about the hero, the one that gets all the publicity, the one that's up front, the one uh, who gets the attention. But who is their hero? Who's the person behind the hero? When I think about the hero's hero, I think about this Calvary family. I think about a church family that we may not be the ones that are, uh, we may not be the missionary, but we're sending the missionary. How many see what I'm saying? We're the ones getting them there. We're the hero, hero's hero, the one behind the scene, the one that, that gets the privilege of working and helping and, 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 and making that happen. We're excited to get to do that. And here's what I want you to see today. We're going to look at a couple of things I want you to think about. God sees what other people do not see. You know why? Because God is looking at a place somewhere different than most people look. God sees what other people don't see. God knows things you and I don't know about at this moment. How many know that's true? You'll say amen. God sees what other people are not seeing. God is in control. Let me tell you something. God is working behind the scenes. He's working even when you're not aware of it. Now, where did we get that phrase, behind the scenes? What's well, a theatrical phrase. I want you to think about this. What, what does it mean, working behind the scenes? Who's doing that? Well, the scenes are the acts that happen up on the platform in front of an audience. The scene. It's, it's like at Christmas now and then and, and all these exciting scenes that happen on this platform. We see that. We look at that. See, that's where we're looking at. But God sees what other people do not see. What does it mean behind the scenes? Well, for everyone that's standing up on the platform in a scene, there have been dozens and dozens and at Calvary several hundred people who did something where? Behind the scene. Who did all the rehearsal to get the children ready? Who rehearsed all the music? Who made the costumes? Who's in the parking lot? Who handled the animals? Who cooked the food? Who prayed the prayers? Who did the rehearsals? Who's standing back there directing traffic? Who's moving all the props? Who's praying? Who's in security? For everybody in the scene, there are many, many, many people that are working behind the scene. How many see what I'm saying? That's where that term comes from. So I want you to understand today. I want to encourage you with something. You may be in a season in your life where you're saying, I don't see God working. I don't see what's happening. I don't understand what's going on in my life. Listen to me. What you're going to learn today, God is working behind the scenes. God's at work. We're going to look at in a few minutes. We're going to read first in the New Testament and then illustrate this in the book of Esther. But I want you to realize that and when we see the book of Esther, for instance, we see Esther. The story's about Esther. She's the one that went to the king. She's the one that was chosen to be the queen. It's the story of Esther. But really, the book of Esther is a result of a man named Mordecai. See, Mordecai was Esther's hero. He was the hero's hero. Mordecai was the man God used continually behind the scenes to create one of the greatest miracles you'll ever see happen. God's working behind the scenes. God is doing something even when you're not aware of it. Mordecai's life is going to teach us a very important lesson or two. Here's what I want you to see. Here's the two things I want you to keep in mind as we go through this time today. Number one, what you do is very important. What you do matters. How many heard what I just said? What you do is very important. What you do every day matters. This is what I want you to know. I want you to learn to be faithful in the little things. Faithful in the daily things. Faithful 
when no one's watching. How many are listening to me right now? Edward's listening. Thank you. How many are listening to me right now? I want you to be faithful when no one's watching. Faithful when it doesn't feel like God is watching. Faithful when you've been faithful already a long time. What does that mean, Pastor? You're going to learn that. You're going to see something. So I want you to turn to somebody very kindly and smile. Don't say it like you're at the principal's office. Smile. Excuse me, principals. And would you just say, be faithful. Tell somebody right now, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. Pastor, why is it so important to be faithful? Oh, what you're going to learn today, you're going to realize the importance of those daily faithful things. That's number one. You're important and what you do matters. It's important to be faithful. All right? Here's the second thing we're, we're, we're going to see today. Never give up. God is working behind the scenes. You are closer to God intervening than you can imagine. Never give up. Listen to me. Your enemy is about to hang himself. Okay, what do you mean? Just what I said. Never give up. God's working behind the scenes. Your enemy is about to hang himself. What the devil's designed to destroy you, God's going to reverse and use it to destroy the work of the devil in your life. The mountain you're looking at today that looks like it's going to kill you is the platform God's going to put you on top of for the next season of your life. Today, two things I want to help you with. Be faithful. And now tell the person next to you, never give up. Come on, tell them, never give up. God's working behind the scenes. God's moving behind the scenes. Let let me help you in your life. Let me help you to discern the voice of God. God is often working behind the scenes. God is often working when you can't see Him work. He's behind the scenes. But He's working. How many believe that? He's working. Now, let me tell you the difference in God and the devil. God's... God's willing to be quiet sometimes because he's working and he knows what he's doing. The devil, on the other hand, is always big and loud and right up in your face. How many heard what I just said? You you say, what's going on? The devil pushes you. God leads you. The devil screams at you. God whispers to you. See, when I talk to Phyllis, my wife, I can talk to her. We're close. this, This is not how we communicate. Hi, Phyllis, I'm home from work. I'm, how are you doing today? I'm really glad you're here. How are you doing, honey? She'd be going, what in the world? Get up in the morning, and I'm a morning person. I've had to learn to tone it down. My wife and daughters were not morning people. Now, Phyllis has become a morning person. You know what made her a morning person? Her prayer life. She wakes up the morning praying. But that's not her natural thing, and it's my daughter. You know, I wake up, I'm happy when I wake up. See, do you know I read, I've been studying this about people that die. Do you over over 90% of the people that die, they're laying in bed? Do you know that? It's the truth. So when I wake up, mm, I get right up out of that bed because I'm not ready to go yet. If 90% of them are laying in there, I'm out of that thing. I mean, I don't lay around in bed all day. What? Uh-uh. That Bad things happen, you keep laying in that. I'm up, boom. Alarm gets up, I get up. By the time the second foot's on the floor, I'm kind of happy. I sing. You know, I'd go to the breakfast with my daughters in, you know, high school, and they're just sitting there like eating. I'm like, hey, girls, it's another day. Come on, let's praise God. It's exciting. Oh, it's a happy day. They say, Dad, Dad. Why wouldn't somebody want my joy? I mean, I'm a morning person. I'm happy. You know, you wake this thing up and go. 
But here's, here, here's what happens. The, the, the devil wants you to give up and he wants you to think it's not going to happen. And he, he, you, you, you get in this mindset, this thing's not going to work. And you have to realize that God's working behind the scenes. But the devil's always trying to yell in your face and intimidate you and confuse you and lie at you. And, you know, here's, here's, what I've wondered, here's what I've learned in life. Have you ever learned in life, the guy that's always bragging and talking and influencing and yelling, have you ever noticed that guy's the one that's the problem guy? That's the guy who doesn't. He's trying to convince himself as well as you. And so I've learned, well, see, God will whisper to you because he, has, he, 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 he knows you. And so I've learned, you know, to get up in the morning. And, 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 when, I, and when I tell my wife good morning, I don't go yelling, you're good morning. I go put my arm around and say, good morning, sweetheart. How are you doing today? See that? Because we have a relationship. You understand what I'm saying? I don't have to yell at her. I can just talk to her. I don't have to prove anything. And, you know, God's, can, listen to me, God's working behind the scenes in your life right now. Aren't you thankful? God's working behind the scenes. He doesn't have to prove anything. He already knows who he is. He's working something for your good. And the devil's trying to yell in your face. So listen to me. Back up from the noise. Are you with me? Back up from the noise. Don't react to the volume and begin to realize God's got this thing. So what are we learning? I'm going to be faithful. What am I going to do? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to give up. So look at this. Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verse 28. I've got to undo some bad thinking for you today. How many? Can I teach you something right now? Can I teach you? Are you willing to get rid of some bad thinking, some old religious thinking today? All right, let me help you. Let me help you. Look at Romans 8, 28. This is, this is important. It says this, Romans 8, 28. And we know. What do you know today? Aren't you thankful you can know this? Huh? We don't think about it. But, and we know what? What do we know? That in all things God works for the good. All right, now let's stop there. Now, I love the King James translation. Don't get upset with me. That's your favorite. I love it. I love it. I love it. But this phrase is really a mistranslation there. What we just read here in the NIV said, watch this. We know that what? In all things, what's the subject? God is working. Now, the King James translation says this. Watch it. Subtle but huge difference. King James translation says, all things, things become the subject. All things work together for the good of those. Now, wait a minute. What do you want working in your life? The things or God? See the difference in that? I want God working, not the things working for me. In this world, bad things happen to good people. How many heard what I just said? Do you know the people that go to Calvary Assembly and have the Bible and pray and do right things and have, you know, Pastor Tony's picture signed to carry in their wallet with them? Do you know that some of those people, bad things still happen to them? Did you know that? Some of you that follow Pastor Josh Wilbanks or Pastor Millie on Facebook, do you know the devil's still real? And you know that sometimes bad things happen to good people because you are a good person following God, and the devil doesn't want you to succeed. And you know that sometimes bad things happen to good people because bad people make bad decisions around you. And if we really want to be honest, sometimes bad things happen to us because we make bad decisions. So let's not be those people that stand up and say, I just think everything happens for a reason. That makes me want to backflip. And you hear it all the time. Well, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, what you don't understand, it may have been the reason the devil is trying to steal, kill, and destroy and send you to hell. But we say it like it's God. 
So watch this. Watch this. It's not the things working for me. It's God working for me in the middle of the things. So even when the devil does a bad thing, God can make a good thing out of it. You understand that? Even when you try to destroy me, God can use it to bless me. Even when the devil says it's over, God says we're just getting started. In all things, God works. But who's he working for? Everybody, anybody, somebody. He's very specific. In all things, God works for what? The good of those who... Oh, so now you can't stand up and say, everything happens for a reason. Pal, you may not love him. If you don't love him, he's not working for your good. I don't mean that ugly. I'm just telling you the truth. So here's, you know, Johnny Heathen out here, and he has a wreck, kills his, you know, breaks his leg and wrecks his car. Uh, everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. Not a God reason. What happened to you was a dumb reason. You just did something dumb and reaped it. How, come on, don't, don't get mad at me. Are, are we on track? Don't blame God for our stupidity. Don't blame God for somebody's rebellion. Don't blame God for someone's disobedience. He says, in all things, God works for those who love Him and He's not through and who have been called according to what? His purpose. When I love God and I'm walking in His purpose, it doesn't mean I earned it. I am what I am by grace. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I'm walking with His help. But it means if I love Him, that's my heart. And I'm walking in His purpose. That's my direction. That whatever happens to me, God's with me in it, working for my good. So it doesn't mean anybody, everybody, no matter what happens in life, can stand up and say when Sunday bad, well, everything happens for a reason. Come on. Only the call to the Lord can say, no matter what happens to me in life, God's going to make something work out of this. Does anybody understand the difference in that? That's huge. Let's go to Galatians 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, 7. How many are thankful God's working for your good today? You know, do you realize what God working for your good? What a statement. Let's look at the same thing. I want you to see this because there's timing. There's timing. Someone say timing. See, I, I've got to be faithful. I must be faithful. See, there, where's the faithfulness? For those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I'm walking in the purposes of God. I'm being faithful. Now, we're looking at Galatians. We, we find this same thought coming to us. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Okay? You realize that? He says, let's look at this. A man reaps what he sows. Okay? Everybody see that verse? Very clear, isn't it? There. We can't mock God. God can't be deceived. We shouldn't be deceived. How does life work? He says, we can't mock God. We reap what we sow. Now watch this next verse. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature or, or, will reap destruction. What did it say? The one who sows to please his sinful nature, it doesn't say from God he gets punished. That doesn't say from God he has destruction. What does it say right here? Where did it come from? Read it with me. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from where? From what? What does it say? Somebody talk. From that nature will reap destruction. When I sow disobedience, rebellion, sin, because of my sinful nature, the Bible says my sinful nature punishes me. I reap what I sow. I, I'm, I do something knucklehead. I make a crazy mistake. I get in trouble. I don't stand up and say everything happened for a reason. No, I did something dumb. Something dumb got me. I did something carnal. Something carnal got me. Are you with me? God didn't come slap you on the head. You did it to yourself. You planted the seed and you got a harvest. How many are with me right now? <laughs> All right. But look at the next. Thank God for this. How many are thankful 
huh, that you stop planting the same old harvest you used to plant in your life. Man, I'm so thankful. See, if you're a new Christian, you may have some seeds from that last dumb harvest you planted. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? There, there's still some stuff hanging around because you, you planted a lot of seed. I mean, you planted it. And the Bible says you don't be mocked. Can't fool God. It's going to work. The good news is hang on. That's the last harvest of that. Everybody listen to me. See, in all things, God's working for your good. You did a bunch of crazy stuff, and now crazy's on you. Chaos is on you. Are you with me? And, but, but the good news is, in the middle of the last chaos you created, God's going to bring you through it. And the good news is, that's the last harvest like that. And now I'm planting seed for a good harvest coming in my life. Do you recognize that thing? It's just like a person who made 30 years of bad decisions and gives God one day, and if their life doesn't change in the next three days, then they said it didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? You never gave it time. All right, everybody with me? Kind of quiet on me today. So what happens if I do the right thing? The one who sows to please the Spirit from where? From the Spirit will reap eternal life. So see, when I sow to the carnal, when I do the sinful, the carnal, the wrong, that's going to come back at me. But when I do something in the Spirit, I please God. God rewards me. So I'm going to be what? I'm going to be faithful. Because look at this verse. Let us not become weary in what? Doing good. See faithfulness? You see faithfulness in this? Don't become weary in doing good. Don't stop doing good. Don't get up. Don't give up. Don't... Be faithful. Why? Because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. The only way we lose is if we do what? If we do not give up. I like what the King James says in here, so I'll give the King James some PR on this one, okay? This is proper time. I like what the King James translation says. It says, this is what it tells us. It says, do not become weary in doing good. Listen. Because the King James translation says, for at the, in, at the due time, in due season, you're going to reap your harvest. I like that word due, D-U-E. Think about it for a minute. Where do we use that word? When, you, when a lady's expecting a baby and you come up to her and you say, when is your baby, oh yeah, due. Hmm, let's think about that. When, when are we going to reap this harvest and what season in due season? When's your baby due? Or you come up to a lady and, and, and you always need to... Certainly make sure that somebody's already told you she is expecting a baby before you ask this question. Okay, everybody clear on that? Don't get excited and create a problem. So if somebody's already told you, or a lady comes and say, says to you, i got some great news, I'm going to have a baby, then and only then, you can say, what's your due date? Oh, so watch this. Are you with me? So what, so what am I doing? I'm doing good. Being faithful to what God's instructed me to do because what's happening in my life, there is a what? A due season. A proper moment when what God has promised is going to happen in my life. Everybody with me right now? So what am I going to do? See, sometimes don't we want to pray like this? We want to pray, oh God, I need you to answer this prayer. When we want Him to answer, when? Right now. But the miracle's not developed yet. The fullness is not time yet. 
And sometimes we get discouraged and we get upset because the miracle wasn't birthed today. Listen to me. You don't want it before the due season. You don't want to miscarry your miracle. You don't want to abort your miracle. You don't want a preemie miracle. You want what? You want the full-grown, fully developed miracle God's doing in your life. So let's keep doing good because my due date before God is coming. Due season's coming in your life. You do good. Why? And you don't give up because there's a due season coming. You do good before the Lord. Now let's look at Esther for a moment. Let's turn to the book of Esther in the Old Testament. And I'll illustrate this real quickly with a couple of points. Due season. How many are thankful that your due season's coming? Look at somebody and say, I'm due. Even the men, go ahead, say it. It's not going to hurt you. I'm due. Absolutely. I'm due. Esther. Chapter 2. I'm, I'm going to read some, but I want to take you through this story. It's an amazing account of what we just read. What are we learning? That we're going to be faithful and we're not going to give up because our enemy's about to hang himself. Your situation's about to be reversed. God is working behind the scenes. Let me tell you something about the book of Esther. It's very interesting. The book of Esther is the only book in the entire Bible where the name of God is never mentioned. Some have debated its authenticity and why it should be in Scripture. But I believe that God is making a very valid point of everything I'm trying to tell you today. That although the name of God is not mentioned, the handprint of God is all over this thing. And what we're finding is what? That in the book of Esther, God's not up on the front. What is He doing? He's working behind the scenes. Do you know right now, I want you to understand, God's working behind the scenes in your life. That you're not just walking along, you're doing good. So what am I going to do? It wasn't a good day for me, but I'm going to do good anyway. How many hear what I'm saying? I'm going to be faithful to God. Nobody patted me on the back. Nobody celebrated me. Nobody congratulated me. But what am I going to do? Be faithful. Be faithful. Why? Because God's working behind the scenes. So notice this moment. It's, it's really amazing. This is about 500 B.C. before the coming of Christ. In Israel, sinned and sinned and sinned as a nation and turned away from God until God could no longer protect them and judgment came on them. And the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar came and devastated the country and took thousands of them back to Babylon as slaves and exiles, the people of God. We find him now there with a new king succeeding Nebuchadnezzar. His name is Xerxes. This isn't just some Jewish fable. You can read these kings in your history books. These are real people, and these events really happen. Esther, whom the book is named after, is an orphan. Not only is she an exile, not only is she in a foreign culture, the wrong ethnicity, the wrong hair color and eye color, the wrong faith, the wrong last name, the wrong neighborhood. She doesn't even have her mother and father to help her. Everything you could put against her, she's there. But she has a cousin. Now, Esther is the hero of this. But her cousin Mordecai is the hero's hero. He's the faithful one who made this happen. And so Esther is there. Life is going on. Somehow Mordecai has achieved a very important place. He sits at the gate of the king's palace, a place of prominence and importance. He had overcome all the obstacles. 
His wisdom and integrity had placed him there against all the odds. So the king, Xerxes, as these dictators would do through this party, the longer his party lasted, the drunker he got, the more liquid courage he put down, the more his boys gathered around him and he decided he was going to bring out Vashti the queen and show off his trophy. Many historians say the reason that Vashti the queen refused to come be put on display before the king in this drunken gathering is that she was just being presented as a trophy and probably in some level of undress. She refused to be humiliated and treated like that for the king just to show her off. And so she says, I'm not coming. And he says, you can't tell me, no, I'm the king. She says, I'm not coming. And so the king meets with his advisors and they say, you know, you, you can't embarrass yourself and all the men in this kingdom. You've got to do something. So they banish her away. She becomes a prisoner for the rest of her life. That's not enough. They say, well, king, if, if you, you, you need a new queen now, so, the, so what we do? Let's have a beauty pageant for the whole nation, and you'll find a most beautiful young lady that lives in your kingdom, and she'll be the next queen. Now, you know, this egotistical king thought that was a really good idea. So they do a search throughout the nation, and here is this young girl who was an orphan raised by her cousin without any hope of success naturally. And the king looks at her with favor, and he says, you're the one. She becomes the next queen. The Bible tells us during this time that her, her cousin Mordecai would watch and every day check and see how she's doing. And he had raised her and watched her and done all that she could do. And we find that in Esther chapter 2, there are three different times the Bible says that God put favor in her life. Again, in chapter 3, God put favor in her life. What I want you to know, and I want you to listen to me, that when God gets ready to put you in His purpose, are you hearing me? It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your education, your last name, your neighborhood, your money, your lack of money, when God says, I'm going to use you, and He puts favor on you, you rise above every other obstacle and every other person, and there is no one like you for that moment, because the favor of God is on your life. But should I remind you, if you ever abuse the favor and it removes from your life, you'll be right back where you were before the favor came on your life, because she was not any place without it and elevated with it. She becomes a queen. Things seem to be going well. Mordecai is there, and she's become the queen. And somewhere during this time, we read in chapter 2 that Mordecai overheard a plot to assassinate the king. And he tells Esther, and Esther being the queen, goes to the king, and they investigate at the end of chapter 2 and found it to be true. And the two men that were going to assassinate the king are hung, and Mordecai saved his life. But the Bible says nothing happens. There are going to be times, listen to me, where you're being faithful and doing good, and at the moment it seems like there was no reward for you doing the right thing. But listen to me today. God keeps good records. Are you listening to me? No matter what man does, God's watching over your life, working in the scene. Have you ever done something and people acted like you didn't do anything good? Have you ever done the right thing and, and, and it seemed like there was no reward? Don't worry about that. God's working behind the scenes. So we fast forward. There's a man that became elevated in King Xerxes' kingdom. His name was Haman. 
Haman was an Agai. Haman was full of himself and proud of himself. He was an arrogant, prideful man, very impressed with what he looked at in the mirror, thinking nobody is like me. Have you ever known? He's one of those guys. I've met a few men in my life. You know, those dudes, they can strut like a rooster while they're sitting in a chair. You you, you, you know what I'm talking about. You ever met one of those guys? I mean, he, they're full of their self. They, they're something. That was Haman. Man, Haman thought he was God's gift to the world. And he would walk out of the king's presence and all these rulers that were at the gate where Mordecai, Mordecai was would bow and honor him. But Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. And the longer Haman saw this, the more angry he became. And Mordecai refused to bow, not because he was disobedient or rebellious or arrogant, but because of his faith in God. He had said, I will bow my knee to no one but the Lord God Almighty. I will not worship an idol nor a man. And so Mordecai refused to violate his faith. Why? Because of his faith in God. So Haman becomes so angry, he decides... I'm not only going to destroy Mordecai because he discovered he was a Jew. I'm going to have all the Jews destroyed. So he goes to the king and convinces Xerxes to write a decree that on a certain day every Jew in his whole kingdom will die and be executed. The king doesn't know that Esther, his wife, the queen, is a Jew. They kept it silent. The Bible says that, that, that uh, Mordecai had instructed her and led her and guided her and that she had listened to what he said. I want to say to the young people listening to me today, I know that you think people over a certain age don't know what you know, don't see what you see, don't dress like you dress, talk like you talk, but they may have seen something in this life that is important to you and you ought to listen to the things they're going to tell you because they may instruct you and save your life. She honored what he told her. Parents, there may be days in raising your children and your family that it doesn't look like you're getting anywhere. And it looks like the lessons and the teaching and the love you're pouring in that child is not making a difference. And maybe, listen to me, your assignment may not be the hero, but maybe your assignment is to be the hero's hero. Maybe your assignment is to prepare the next generation for the greatest things God has ever done. How many hear what I'm saying? My belief as for this church is that it will last much longer than me and we and any of us. And my prayer is that someday some young man will climb up on my shoulders and start where I left off and do greater things than I've ever done. And I will be his greatest cheerleader or her. Did that rattle your religious box? We'll celebrate. Because our job is to be the hero of the heroes. And to let God get the glory. Mordecai poured it into her. And so, Haman wants to kill the Jews. Mordecai hears about this. He sends word in chapter 4. Read this with me, beginning in verse 12 of Esther 4. Esther The people, your people, our people are about to be executed. Genocide of the Jews in this kingdom is about to take place. In verse 12 in chapter 4, he gets word to her. And when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you come to your royal position for such a time as this. He said, Esther, 
Now I know why. Out of all these young women, against all the odds, that you're the queen. Listen to me. It wasn't about you, Esther. It was about the will of God. Can I tell you what wisdom is in this life? Almost anybody can tell you what they have. But wisdom is the ability to know why I have it. I want to say that again. The wisdom of this world is not just to know what I have. The wisdom of God is to know why do I have it. See, Esther, he's saying, you know, I know you've enjoyed being the queen. I know the palace has been great. I know you're living a life you never dreamed. I know you have privilege that's beyond your imagination. Listen, and you know, as you begin to serve God, I want you to hear me, church family. God will bless you as you serve Him. God will honor you as you obey Him. God will put His hand on your life. But the important thing to remember is that God did this, and I'm in the kingdom not for me but for Him. And whatever you want me to do, God, I'm on track to do it for you. He said, Esther, you're only here because God needed you in this place. She said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and fast for three days, and I'm going to go before the king and make a request. Now, in that culture, uh, in that kingdom, if you were to walk into the room where the king's throne was, and he was on the throne without an invitation, you could have your head cut off immediately. But she said, I'm going. I'm praying and fasting three days, and I'm going. And she walks in, and the king looks at her, and the Bible says favor again came on her. And he said, Esther, he extends the scepter, which means you're welcome and you have authority. He says, I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. And she says, I just want you and Haman to come over for dinner tonight. He said, we can do that. Can you imagine Haman now? That boy that could strut sitting down, he grew three more feathers that day. He walks home to his wife and says, you can't believe what just happened. The queen invited two people, me and the king. Can you believe it? He said, oh, life is good. The Jews are going to die. Mordecai is going to be gone. I am so popular. There's no one like me. Not looking good for the God team. But what am I telling you? Be faithful and don't give up. God's working. So watch that. The king lays down that night. The next day. Esther says, so they, they came over and she said, and the king says, what do you want me to do? She says, you come back tomorrow one more time and I'll make my request. She said, okay, Haman, we came today, we're coming tomorrow. So Haman's feeling good. The king goes home, it's time to sleep. He can't sleep. I think there was an angel. Just... So the king gets up. It just happened to be that night. Come on, because what's God been doing? He's been working behind the scenes. So you can't see him. Man, uh, Mordecai, um, Mordecai looks tough. And you know what Haman was doing? Haman was building. uh, He said, what am I going to do? His friend said, build a gallows 75 feet tall and hang your Mordecai in front of everybody. He said, yeah, go build it. So they're building that. And oh, Haman's laying in his bed snoring, dreaming about Mordecai dying. King can't sleep. And he gets up and he says, get the history of the my kingdom and read, read. I can't sleep. Just read to me. So they're reading and they get to the place about Mordecai exposing the assassination plot and saving his life. Nikki says, stop. What did I do for him? He said, you didn't do anything. I didn't do anything for the man that saved my life. He said, no, you didn't do anything, King. He said, good grief. That's early in the morning now. The king's thinking, I, I, I need to reward Mordecai. So just about that moment, oh, Haman, he couldn't wait. He was up early, knocked on the king's door. Knock, 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 knock. Had him a, you know, Egg McMuffin with him. He came in and just, King, 
And the king says, hey, I'm glad you're here, Haman. He said, i got a question for you. Now watch what ego and pride will do. He says, what should I do for the man that the king wants to reward? Well, Haman goes, he's got to be talking about me. I'm like, I'm the man. I'm the main man. He says, so this is what you do, king. It was against the law for anybody to ever ride on a horse after the king had ridden. He said, so get one of the horses you've ridden on. He says, okay. And then let's get your, one of your royal robes and put it, okay, put it. So get the guy on your horse, put your robe on him, and then lead him through the town shouting, this is the man the king honors. This is the man the king honors. And the king said, that is a great idea. You go over and get Mordecai right now and do all that stuff for him. I mean, you can't make this up. So Haman is like, oh. So he goes and gets Mordecai, puts him on a horse, puts him on. And, and more, listen, this is what's so good. Haman is the guy leading the horse, yelling out, this is the man the king honored. Everybody bow. Don't you know that was just killing him? And there's Mordecai riding on that horse. I mean, you look at God. You say, he's forgotten about me. The gallows are being built. Listen, the sound of that hammer building that gallows is not the sound of your death. It is the defeat of your enemy falling at your feet. Don't let the noise disturb you. God is working. Be faithful. So Haman gets through with the Mordecai parade and goes home and says to his wife, what happened? His wife and his friends even tell him, you're history, pal. I mean, you're done. I mean, you're done. At that moment, time to go to the queen's next feast. Oh, yeah. Oh, so he goes in. There's him and, and the king and Queen Esther. So the king says, okay, what do you want? I mean, I waited. What do you want? What's your request? She says, king, someone has made a decree and convinced you to annihilate all the Jews in the kingdom, and that would include me. And he looks at her and he says, who would do such a wicked thing? She's like, he's right there. Can you believe it? The king's so mad, the Bible says, he gets up and walks outside in the garden just to blow some steam off. And, and, and Haman's like, I am done. So in that day, they didn't sit at tables and chairs like we do. They kind of reclined like on these couch things to eat, which is, I'm glad I sit up. I'd be a anyway. So she's laying there and, and on the couch, and, and Haman runs over and falls down. Oh, you got to forgive me, queen. Do something for me. Right as he falls on the queen on the couch, the king walks back in. He says, are you going to molest the queen right in front of my face? Well, this boy, his bad day is getting worse, isn't it? I told you, don't give up. Your enemy's about to hang himself. So then the king says, what should I do to this guy? And Esther's attendant said, well, there's a gallows 75 feet tall right outside the door. They put a hood on his head and hung him in the next five minutes. It was all done. I'm telling you all the things the devil has said. You missed it. It's too late. It's over. You're going to die. God has been orchestrating it all. You're not going to die on it. The devil's going to die on it. You're not going to lose your enemy. He's going to lose. What a God working behind the scenes. Not only did Haman die, the king makes a new decree that all the Jews are safe. In fact, not only are they safe, they can destroy anybody that was going to kill them. And he's not through with that. He said, I want to give the estate of Haman to Esther. She said, I'm going to give it to Mordecai. Being faithful to God will help us be the hero to the heroes. The name of the book is Esther, but the real hero is Mordecai. The man who took her in as an orphan. 
the man who instructed her and guided her and poured his life into and protected her, the man who gave her an example of what it means to be courageous and brave. That's the hero of this book. The man who refused to bow his knee and worship a false god, that's the hero of this book. And what I want you to understand today, that you may have heard and received a death decree in your life. What does that mean? So listen, I'm going to tell you, I honor, love, and respect the medical profession. I love these doctors that help us. I appreciate their education and their kindness and their courtesy and their help. But all they can do is see what they see. Do you understand that? They look at the test. They run the test. It is what it is. They're not bad. They're just telling you what they see. But what did I tell you to begin with? God sees what no one else can see. And all we can see is that. But God sees something else. We see the gallows, but God sees Haman hanging on it. So we get the death decree, but God says, I've got one more word to say over you. It's not done yet. See, somebody may have told you as a child, we don't want you. We don't love you. You're not important. You're not loved. You're dumb. You're crazy. You're stupid. Maybe somebody made a wedding vow and broke it, and you feel rejected and intimidated. But even though the death decree's been spoken, I'm here to tell you, God, God has the final word. And your death chamber is going to be turned around to the birth chamber of the open door to the next season in your life. The Jews celebrate this to this day in, in the, about the month of Mar- March in Purim. It's a celebration to this day about how God spared them. I want you to understand that God is the God who turns funerals into parties who turns the worst day in your life into the best day of your life because he's a faithful God. I want you to stand with me. Pastor Joy, I want you to come. and Just don't get in a hurry. I want to pray an important prayer with you right now. I want to pray something I think that's very important. God's at work. God sees what you can't see. What are the two things I've been telling you today? Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. There were some days when Mordecai was the lone Jew at the gate of the king, and no one understood him. And they kept telling him, why don't you just bow down to this Haman guy? Why don't you just bow down? Why are you being so stubborn? Because I'm not going to dishonor my God. And let me show you something in this time scale. The, the wonderful book of Nehemiah that, becomes, that comes before Esther in Scripture, but chronologically, it's after. For you see, if the Jews had been annihilated under Xerxes, then there would have been no Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the following king. And if Nehemiah hadn't have been there, there would have been no one to lead the people back to Jerusalem where the walls were torn down and the city was destroyed and rebuild the hope of all God's people. And the obedience and faithfulness of one man saved an entire race of people. Everything in that Bible, in the Old Testament, after this book, would be empty. The prophets wouldn't have spoken. The good news wouldn't have come. But one man said, in a foreign country, against all the odds, when no one's with me, I'm going to be faithful to my God. Mom, you may be the only faithful one in your house. You be faithful to God, Mom. God's going to honor your faith. He's working behind the scenes. That situation is breaking your heart and looks like it's never going to work out. God's going to have the final word in this thing. He's going to have the final word. Sir, you'll listen to me. I know what it's like to be rejected for my faith. 
As a young man, when I accepted Christ, I was already in college and had my friends and a lifestyle that was ungodly. And when I accepted Christ, I had to decide, am I going to serve God or not? Most of my acquaintances, I don't call them friends, walked off and left me because they, they didn't want the God that I was going to serve. But can I tell you something? What, what was difficult for a season to walk by myself and walk through rejection and misunderstanding, some ridicule and other issues in my life. And all those places where they walked off and left me, God began to put good things in those places. And that, that gallows that looks like it's going to kill you, it's just going to kill the enemy that's working against you. That gap in your life when you're willing to say yes to God and some people get taken away that you depended on, God just moving some room to bring godly people into your life. You understand that? I, I feel very strongly about that. I feel, there's some people I sense in the Holy Spirit. You're in some relationships today, listen to me, and you're codependent on that. They're just providing security for you temporarily. But the price you're paying to compromise, to stay in that relationship will rob you of the blessing God has in your life. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. I'd rather walk alone with God than in a crowd of people and God not be with me. Come on, come on. Wouldn't you rather do it? Listen, I'd rather have the hand of God. I'd rather hear God whisper than hear the world shout in my face. I'd rather walk by myself in the night and hear the whisper of God than have the applause and the celebration and everything this life can offer. To hear His voice. To hear the noise that says, this gallows is going to kill you. This is going to put you down. This is going to wreck your life. You're going to die. All your faith. What did your faith do for you? What did your hope do for you? What did your God do for you? Well, I know what my God did for me. He turned the sound of my death into the drumbeat of my celebration and began to please Almighty God. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. I have such an urgency in my spirit to tell you it's too soon to give up. God's working. He's working. I want us to pray together right now. And I, I, I feel it's such a sense to encourage you today from God. Listen, listen. Look past me right now, please. This isn't Pastor Sawyer encouraging you. God's speaking to you through me. God knows your situation. Are you hearing this? You've been saying, God, do you know I'm here? We've been telling you all day, yeah, I know you're here. <laughs> You've been saying, God, is it ever going to happen? And this whole message I've been saying, yeah, it's going to happen. God's talking to you because He loves you and He knows you. Let's bow our heads and just to give each other privacy, I want to talk to some really good people right now going through a really hard time. The Bible says, don't become weary in doing good. You're due. <laughs> You're due. Don't become weary. Don't become weary. Talking to good people, you're doing good. But you've had to wait a while. The devil's trying to scream, and you hear the gallows being built and see it, and you're just like, oh. Maybe you've said in the last few weeks, God, I don't know how much longer I can hold on. God wants to give you supernatural strength right now. God wants to turn something around. God wants to reverse what the enemy's done. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not going to ask you to walk out of the seat. This is just private, personal with you and God. But you say, I love the Lord with all my heart. But, Pastor, I'm just weary. I need some strength today. 
been in a battle a while, would you just lift your hand where you are and then just put it back down? Just put it. Thank you. Just you just put it back down. You know what you did? You know what you did when you raised your hand? You said, "God, I volunteer to stay on board." God, I'm going to trust you. I want our elders to come and our pastors to come. I want to pray a closing prayer here today. Would you guys go ahead and just join me in the front? I want to pray for people that this isn't an altar call where I'm saying you don't love God, you're doing something wrong. I'm trying to give an altar call for everybody doing something right. And you say, you know what, I just want somebody to agree with me in prayer. Pastor, I hear what you said, and I believe God's not through with me. I believe God is going to do something great. And I want to get some prayer. I want to walk out of this place in agreement with, with someone who says, I know, I know that God can do this. See, I, I want to pray for somebody who's been doing good. I want to pray for somebody who says, I'm just tired, but I'm not giving up. You've been facing something. And you said, I just want to come and have some agreement today. Have some prayer. I want to be refreshed. I need to be renewed in my faith. I want to pray this prayer. And as I pray, just come. Family of God. Warriors of God. Men and women of God. Somebody wants to pray over you and bless you today. And encourage you to stay in there. You're Haman is about to go away. Your situation is about to be reversed. You're standing on the edge. You're due. Do you hear me? You're due. Your due season is developing every second God's working. Father, I pray for this great church family right now. Lord, there are men and women who love you with all their hearts today. And the enemy's been trying to fight them because they are doing the right thing. They are doing good. And today they're saying, I'm going to go for God. I'm going to be strengthened in the Lord. I'm going to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Lord, I pray today that their divine connections of prayer, of faith and hope and courage. God, there are warriors that just need some new armor. There are warriors that just need a fresh drink of water. There are faithful men and women that just need an encouragement. Lord, I pray today be replenished and renewed and refreshed because they're due. God, I thank you for that. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.